And if you would, please turn in your Bible again to the book of Ecclesiastes. Pick up today in chapter 6, Ecclesiastes chapter 6. If there's one New Testament passage that I think most often comes to mind as we work through Ecclesiastes, it's what we've just read from Matthew 16, 26. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And that, in my mind, keeps coming to the forefront over and over again. And I think it's particularly applicable to our text today. As we come to Ecclesiastes 6, Solomon the wise has been our guide through an observation and an evaluation of life under the sun. And Solomon has been honest. At times we've said brutally honest. Uh, today, one commentator commented that he believes Solomon was intentionally obscure. Uh, and, and I think we can find that, that this is a difficult passage. Uh, one commentator compared Solomon in this chapter specifically to a modern day shock jock, meaning that Solomon delivers the truth in a way that is deliberately harsh in order to stir up the listener to evoke a response or even to provoke the listener emotionally. And I think we see that. This, this definitely holds true for the text today. And, and I bring this up, I say this as a little bit of a warning. As we hear the wisdom of Solomon, let's not be put off by his words so that we miss the important message that is here. Remember, this is the word of God. In this passage, Solomon mentions a miscarriage, a stillborn baby, or the King James uses the term one born untimely. And for some of us, for many of us, this is a personal experience to lose a baby to miscarriage. It's more common than you might think. It's, it's something that many go through. But for everyone who goes through such a thing, it's a unique experience and it's not for anyone something that is pleasant. So it might be easy for us to just hear the mention of such an atrocity in the text and stop listening. But we really need to stay engaged with the text of Scripture and be reminded this is God's Word. And we need to hear the Word of God. So Ecclesiastes chapter 6, if you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read, we'll read all 12 verses. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. If a man beget a hundred children and live many years so that the days of his years be many, his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth or a miscarriage is better than he. For he cometh in vanity with he cometh in, cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness. 
and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he shall not see the sun nor know anything. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place? In verse 7, all the labor of a man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Verse 10. That which hath been is named already, and it is known that it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray your blessing now on your word, in reading and in preaching. We pray your blessing on each one who hears. Help us, Lord, to be good listeners. Help us to be doers and not hearers only. Help us to find purpose and meaning and substance in the person and work of our Savior and not to look for it in the fleeting trinkets of this short time that we have under the sun. We pray these things for your kingdom's sake. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 6 begins with these words, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. There is an evil. And, and we need to recognize a, yet another phrase which is repeated in this book. We've talked about the often repeated lines in Ecclesiastes like under the sun and vanity or vapor. Uh, each of these being used by Solomon nearly 30 times in this book. But we've also seen in verse 1 this phrase, there is an evil, and we've seen it before. We saw it in the previous chapter, chapter 5, verse 13, where the preacher says there is a sore evil or there is a grievous evil. And all the way back to chapter 2, over and over again, this mention of evil has been repeated. It comes up 19 times in Ecclesiastes. And 19 times is enough reason for us to pause and take a moment to consider. We've spoken about vanity and vapor, those things which are under the sun, which are momentary, which are fading. Uh, whether they are good or bad or indifferent, they are brief. They are but a puff of smoke and they are gone. And we've pointed out that vanity and vapor is not necessarily sinful, not necessarily evil, not necessarily a bad thing, but we just need to understand vanity and vapor for what it is. But we have here, there is an evil. And this is meant to communicate something different than vanity and vapor. This is not only fleeting, this is not only meaningless, 
not only without lasting profit, this is evil. This seems to our minds to be, and, and originally to the preacher's mind, but, but to our minds as well, it seems to be unfair. It seems to be unreasonable. This is an evil. So we have this evil, but to make matters worse, this evil, Solomon tells us, is prevalent among men. It's common. Some translations say prevalent or common. Uh, this evil is common. Other translations have the word as weighty. This evil is weighty. This evil weighs heavily on mankind. So we take these translations and we come to the conclusion that this evil thing which the preacher observes is a heavy burden and it is not at all uncommon. So the preacher is telling us while some things are vanity and frustrating, as if that weren't bad enough, there are other things that we observe in life that are evil, that are unfair. And then to demonstrate this evil which he has observed, the preacher gives us an illustration and we meet the man of the illustration in verse 2. In verse 2 we find a wealthy man. God has given him riches, possessions, wealth, and even honor. And, and this should certainly bring to our minds all sorts of wealth, all sorts of possessions, not just money or cash, but also land and cattle and, and all that a man could desire, including honor. And the pouring out of this wealth is so much, the scripture tells us this illustration of Solomon's, that he has all that he could want, all that his heart could desire. Now, as this man, as an illustration, is representative of all people, the amount the quantity of possessions and money, etc., may vary. What one man sees as all he can want for, another man may see and say, no, I still want more. We remember the principle which the preacher has already taught us. Enough is never enough. That's the way life is under the sun. That's the way it is with our desires. Enough is never enough, and a little more always seems about right. So we have this very wealthy man and why Solomon rightly attributes the source of this man's wealth to God the giver of all good things God has given this man what he possesses we can also note here as we see this illustration of a great evil and we have a wealthy man that the evil which the preacher speaks about is not the wealth of the man it's not that the man is wealthy. God has given the wealth and it's no sin to be wealthy when God has given it. Wealth may and often does afford many sinful people the resources and the opportunity to carry out the sin that is in their heart. But wealth or to be wealthy is not in and of itself sin. So as we see the evil is not possessing wealth, rather we will see that evil is in the ungratefulness and the discontent of the man. Just pausing for us to get ready because ungratefulness and discontent is an evil that is common among men 
and weighs heavily on mankind. Verse 2 shows us that while God gives the possessions, God gives this man wealth, God has withheld the power to enjoy these possessions. One person described this like a person who would have a room filled with canned food, but no can opener. God has given the blessing of the wealth, but no power to eat thereof, no power to enjoy what he has. And this takes us back to chapter 5 and verse 19 that we looked at last time we were in this section. Uh, chapter 5, 19 tells us, Every man whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him the power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. So not only the gift, but the enjoyment of the gift both come from God. What you have and the ability to use it and enjoy it these are gifts from God. Wealth with the ability to enjoy it and with thanksgiving. This is a gift from God. But wealth without thanksgiving, without thankful enjoyment of it, is what the preacher calls an evil. Whether the enjoyment of this man is lost because the wealth itself is lost, maybe a bad investment or a bad business deal, or whether the wealth remains, but the enjoyment is absent. Perhaps due to worry over the wealth itself or a drive to get more wealth, more and more. Whatever the reason, the enjoyment of the wealth is gone. And we notice the extent of this loss. It's not that he can't enjoy all of it. Verse 2 tells us that God has not given the power to eat of it. Eating here being used to uh, are being used to mean enjoy it as it should be enjoyed. But the point doesn't say here that the man cannot eat it, meaning all of it, but he cannot eat of it. He can't enjoy of it. He can't enjoy a small portion, just a fraction of the total wealth. He cannot enjoy. And still, to make matters worse, verse 2 leaves, this, this man leaves the wealth either by loss or by death. He leaves the wealth so that a stranger comes in and eats it. And here it doesn't say eats of it. It says eats it like he consumes all of it. And this is an evil that Solomon has observed under the sun. He says it's an evil disease. The crux of the matter here is contentment and thankfulness. The man who has been given the ability to obtain wealth is not content. He has wealth, but he's not content. There's no gratitude toward God for what he has. This is a discontented man. And it is important to, for us to know that discontentment does not come upon a person after they have amassed great sums of wealth. Discontentment does, is not a rich person's disease. Discontent is alive and doing pretty well in scores of people. We could say that it's common among men. Discontent goes hand in hand with unthankfulness. And not only is it common among men, it's common 
in the church. Discontent and unthankfulness, ungratefulness may be common in this very room. So we must check on our own hearts. This is not for us to look around and check on other people. This is for us to check on our own hearts to see that we are content with what God has given us. So in verse 2, the preacher presents to us a man who is rich in earthly possessions and even in honor and respect of other men, but he's discontent. And now Solomon continues to demonstrate this evil. As we move to verse 3, we find even greater riches. We've spoken of this man's wealth, but now we find riches in family and in long life. Solomon uses hyperbole. Well, okay. Hyperbole. I like to say it the other way. Solomon uses hyperbole here to over-exaggerate the wealth of this man. He says here in verse 3, he has a hundred children and a long life. Verse 6 tells us that, that he lived 2,000 years, a thousand years twice. Now we see three standards by which people typically measure success and happiness. How do you know if you're successful and happy? Well, it's wealth, it's children, and it's long life. What more could you want? This man has wealth. He had all that he could desire. This man has children. A hundred is more children than anybody would want to have. But if you measure success and happiness by a number of children, this man takes the box. A hundred children. And then long life. Certainly no one could live a thousand years, much less a thousand years twice. But this presents for us, by way of illustration, a man who has success and happiness by every metric one would use to measure success and happiness. Wealth, family, long life. But, verse 3 tells us that his soul is not filled with good and he has no proper burial. This discontented man, rather than living in thanksgiving, rather than being a generous person, rather than enjoying the good things which God has given him, his heart is not content. Verse 6 says in his 2,000 years of living, he has seen no good. Some of us need to look at our own hearts. Do I look and see no good? One reason that this man did not see good is that he is not looking for good. He's focused on the wrong stuff. And his conclusion is at the end of verse 6, it all ends in the same place. The grave lies in front of every one of us, but this man will arrive to his grave as a bitter, unhappy, and ungrateful person. And at the close of verse 3, we see this comparison of this man's life to that of a stillborn baby. And Solomon says that the stillborn baby is better off than this man. And this is shocking. What, what a statement this is for us. Solomon goes on to explain and to describe how a stillborn baby is better off than this 
discontented soul. The stillborn child, he tells us, comes with vanity. Perhaps it's more readily seen with a miscarriage than with a person who lives a long life. Both is vanity and vapor. But the miscarriage leaves us asking, what is the purpose? What is the reason? Where is the advantage? God, why? The stillborn baby, Solomon tells us, dies in darkness. He dies in obscurity. And the mention of his name, his name is in obscurity or in darkness. The mention of his name represents more than just a name given. It's the meaning and the purpose and the value of a person's life. And this miscarried baby lives and dies in darkness, in obscurity, without ever taking a view of creation, without ever growing or learning. Still there is for this stillborn baby more contentment, more rest of the soul than that of the wealthy, many children, long years of the discontented man. Having given us this illustration of this discontented, unthankful man in the first six verses, now Solomon brings the lesson home with, with like proverbs in the remaining verses. And we take the example of the preacher given, giving to us to show a way that we should avoid. But we want to not only see the way that we should avoid, we want to see how should we live and we can learn this as we look at the remaining verses. Verse 7, all the labor of a man is for his mouth, yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Brothers and sisters, we have to ask ourselves here, what if you had all the wealth that your heart desires? You know, it's funny to think that, that some of us actually spend time thinking about such foolish things. So many of us think, well, if we had a little more money, it would fix our problems. Maybe you came here today thinking, if I had a little more money, my problems would be fixed, but but nine times out of 10, the problem in your life is not an income problem. Now, my kids will tell you, dad always says the problem that you have is not an income problem, it's an outgo problem. That, that's my saying. But here's the thing, that's, that's not exactly, I've been corrected in preparing for this sermon. When I say it's an outgo problem, outgo, is really just a symptom of a deeper, real issue. And that issue is discontent. And the lie of Satan is to say that if you had a little more, then you'd be happy. If you had a little more, then you'd be content. A little more would be just right. But a little more still won't be enough. 
a little more and you still won't be content. I can attest that life does not get happier with more money. I thought about it as I prepared this message the first year that Stacy and I were married. At the end of that year, we filed our income taxes and we made just over, get ready for this, $9,000 that year. We live in a little roach infested apartment with a new baby and not much else. I know what it's like to live with little and I also know what it's like to make 10 times that and still be discontent. Because more is not enough. The preacher here is telling us the truth. Discontent will rob us of joy. Discontent will rob us of the enjoyment of what God gives us. And if you're not content with what you have now, you will not be content with a little more and you will not be content with a lot more. Let's get the answer that Solomon gives us. We start in verse 10, finding this answer, this working our way to resolution here. Verse 10, that which has been is already named and it is known that it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. This is where I think... Uh, Solomon gets difficult to understand, but if I were going to rephrase this statement after looking at it, I think I might say, what is in the world, God has already called it. And in the end, we are simply man. God is sovereign. And who are you, O oh man, to wrestle with sovereign God? Who are you to push back? Who are you to resist the decree of God? Verse 11, seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? We can do a lot of stuff, striving to gain wealth, striving to gain children, increasing the years of our life, but in the end, it just increases vanity and vapor. We're striving after the wind and we're no better off than when we were at the beginning. Primarily because we don't know what we need. Friend, you don't know what you need in this life. You think you know. You have desires, you have wants, but you don't know what's best for you. Look in verse 12, for who knoweth what is good for a man in this life? It's a rhetorical question. And the answer is not you, not me. For who knoweth what is good for man in this life all the days of his life, uh, all the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow? For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? What he's saying there is you don't know what's good for you, much less how much more do you not know what's good for the future, what comes after you? Brothers and sisters, what is good for a man? It is a rhetorical question, but the answer comes back to us at a volume of 10. Who knows what's good for a man? God knows. God alone knows. He is the creator. He has made you. He knows what you need better than you know. 
So brothers, sisters, are, are you going to strive after more money? Or more children? More days on this earth? Are you going to presume to know what's best for you? God has decreed all things which come to pass. He has decreed your wealth or your poverty. And not only has he decreed your wealth or your poverty, he has decreed the extent of it. He has decreed your family. He has decreed the days of your life. Not only the number of your days, but all the stuff that fills every day. So when you go out and turn the key in your car and your car doesn't start, God decreed that. Now, I feel like I need to not hedge this. It is a truth. But I feel like we need to, to come at the other side. There are responsibilities. If you go out and turn the key and your car doesn't start because it's out of gas, you have responsibility. Right? I'm, I'm not trying to eliminate man's responsibility. Man is responsible, but God decrees and God is sovereign. So when you try and try, but you're still not expecting a baby, God has decreed. That doesn't mean that he will never decree that you'll have a baby. That, that means he has decreed that you will not have one up to this point. That's God's decree. Also, what happens is sometimes people think they don't want a baby or they don't want any more babies. And then, surprise, and God has decreed. If you live, if you live to be 102 years old, or if you die this very day, God has decreed whatsoever comes to pass. So Christians, how are we to live with this knowledge? Certainly we can pray and we can ask God for the desires of our hearts. I believe that that is what we are supposed to do. The Proverbs instructs us. Ask God for the desires of your heart and we pray like this. God, give me the things that I desire or take away the desire from me and give me the desires that you would have me to hold. We certainly pray for the things which weigh upon us, but, but as we pray, we express gratitude for what God has done. Even when we don't fully understand it, God, I don't know why in your decree, in your sovereign will, you are bringing me through this thing. I don't understand it, but in the midst of it, I will give you thanks because I trust that you do what is right and you do what is good for those who love you. So we express thanks. We do as the scripture commands and we count it all joy. Even when we fall into diverse temptations and trials. God, it looks like I could use some more money here. But you have us in this circumstance right now for some reason. Help us to learn the lesson. Help us to pass the test. Help us to obey the command. Help us to do the service that you want from us. And we humbly ask that you would give us an ever-increasing contentment with what we have. 
God, if your will is that we're poor, maybe we need to pray for grace to embrace God's will and to be content as his children. If God were to grant us a measure of wealth, any measure of wealth, we need to pray that God would give us grace to be content in that state as well. And then if God should take away even the blessings that we already have, let's pray for the grace that we can say with Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Ultimately, Christian, we must be happy with the great trying God of heaven. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We must be happy with God and not continually seek gifts to make us happy. We see this. We see this with single people. I want a wife. I want a husband. Learn to be content with Christ and pray that God will give you a wife or a husband. God, we need more uh, financial. We need financial help and financial stability. Be content in Christ and pray that God would bless your work and then go to work. Brothers and sisters here, we need to check our hearts to see that we are content with that which God has given us. And if you find yourself needing more contentment with your blessings, with the gifts that God has given, exercise yourself in thanksgiving. Remember that old song, count your blessings, see what God has done, count your blessings, name them one by one. You can't count your blessings and name them one by one and at the same time be discontent with what God has given let us learn from the example of the discontented man of Ecclesiastes 6 and be grateful people who live to the fullest in the blessing to whatever degree which God has given. And then in closing, I want to add one more thing. There is a discontent. There is a discontent in the heart of man, of, of men and women and children. There is a discontent that exists that there is only one way for it to be fulfilled. You can learn to live with less money, more money. You can learn to live with more children, fewer children. You can learn to live with a wife, without a wife, with a husband, without a husband. You can learn to live in different states. Remember the Apostle Paul said, I've learned that whatever state I'm in there with to be content. You can learn to live contently in all these states of, of physical blessing. But there's one state of discontent where you can only be fulfilled. You can only be contented in one way. And that is your lostness. Sinner, you are in need of a Savior. Sinner, you are in need of forgiveness of sin. You are in need of righteousness to stand before a holy God. And there should be, there is within you a level of discontent with your own soul. And the only place for that discontent to be turned to content is at the foot of the cross of Calvary. It's before Christ Jesus.
as we think about contentment, this is not to say just knuckle down and be content with your lostness. This is not to say try harder, do better, to be a better person. Because you cannot. You cannot live in such a way that you will find contentment and satisfaction. The only way that we can find contentment and satisfaction with our sin-sick souls is in Jesus Christ. In His life. And in His death. And in His resurrection. If you find yourself this morning discontent with the condition of your soul, I would encourage you to run to Jesus, repenting of your sin, trusting in his life and death, trusting in his work for your salvation. The conclusion of all this, when it has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessings that you have given us. God, every one of us here, the one here in, in, in this room who is the worst off is blessed. And God, each of us may think, well, I'm probably the worst one here. I'm probably the worst off. God, forgive us for that kind of thinking that is ungrateful, unthankful heart, discontented. And help us to be content with what you have given us. Help us to live in such a way that it is a testimony to your grace and a testimony to your goodness. God, we pray those who are who are lost and without Jesus Christ, we pray that you would give them a discontent an increasing discontent, an increasing conviction of their need for Jesus, that you would draw them to him, grant to them grace of faith and repentance. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.